But I say one thing the military taught me, uh, Nick, was to have a, a never give up mentality. It's just not an option to give up when bullets are flying over your head, you know, or other guys, gals, uh, they are depending on you to perform. And it doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter how you felt that day, how much sleep you got, because it probably wasn't much, right? I mean, you had to perform. So thank the Lord, I did make it home. And uh, I, I felt almost kind of helpless though at the time. I, I didn't have that college degree. I didn't have that piece of paper that said I was qualified to, to do something per the world standard or per America's standards, I guess. But uh, I, I was trying to think, what, what am I going to do? It's exciting to see. It's exciting to have conversations about life, sustainability, legacy, and not just talking about financing all the time. Don talks about really a commitment to leadership. I think that's the distinctive part that makes it so powerful. I've achieved the American dream, and I'm committed to helping others do the same. Welcome to the Elite Impact Podcast. I'm your guest host for today, Nick Lonnie, and I'm so excited to have my good friend on. Our podcast today is one of DLP Capital's elite members, Whitney Sewell, a veteran, philanthropist, a podcast host, and CEO of LifeBridge Capital. How are you, Whitney? I am excellent. Nick, Welcome. honored to be here. I'm honored that they allowed me to guest host your presence. This is my first podcast. I was podcast. surprised, actually. I know. Yeah. I lucked out. I had, to, I had to pull strings for this one. You're a veteran <laughs> and a veteran podcaster. This is my first time. Uh, you do... Daily podcasts, or had done daily podcasts, correct? We are still doing daily, over 1,600 days. That's right. That's incredible. So why don't we start off with the low-hanging fruit? Someone who's doing this their first time, what advice do you have to a first-time podcast host? Good question. I would say it's just a conversation. I tell every every guest that I have, uh, you know, before we get started, this is just like us meeting at a conference. Uh, don't overthink it. Don't think that it has to be, you know, exactly perfect. Most of the listeners know that, you know, they're hearing a podcast and two guys talking and uh, you don't have to be nervous or, or it, every word does not have to be perfect to add value to them. Hear that? Mistakes are perfect. Perfect is imperfect. So for, for those in, in DLP's audience who are not familiar with you, um, can you give us kind of an abridged uh, uh, background, a timeline of how you got to where you are today and what's important to, to you and to LifeBridge Capital? Of course. I go back to March of 2001. And if you remember where you were at six months after that, most of us probably do. Uh, but in March is when I decided to join the military. Had no idea that, you know, I would find myself uh, in war or in combat uh, shortly after. And so sure enough, all of 05, I spent in Iraq and I was a gunner on an up-armored Humvee and, uh, you know, uh, toting around a machine gun every day. It's hard to believe. I think back about it. Like, Did that really happen, you know? Uh, but unfortunately, not everybody in my squad made it home. And so, uh, you know, lots of lessons learned there, to say the least. But I say one thing the military taught me, uh, Nick, was to have a, a never give up mentality. It's just not an option to give up when bullets are flying over your head, you know, or other guys, gals, uh, they are depending on you to perform. And it doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter how you felt that day, how much sleep you got, because it probably wasn't much, right? I mean, you had to perform. So thank the Lord I did make it home. And uh, I, I felt 
almost kind of helpless though at the time. I, I didn't have that college degree. I didn't have that piece of paper that said I was qualified to, to do something right. per the world standard or per America's standards, I guess. But uh, I, I was trying to think, what what am I going to do? I, I got this, pretty much all I had was a military experience. I loved though the structure, the discipline, the uniform. I, I loved being a first responder uh, as well. Um, and, and so, I, I actually, uh, that that made me apply to Kentucky State Police, which allowed me to become a first responder. Uh, and so, because of that military background, the structure, the discipline, I was I was able to be uh, get one of five positions out of 1,200 applicants. And so, I, I loved working the road as a police officer. Uh, and uh, however, I eventually I got married soon after that, and my new bride and I just passed each other in the hallway the first whole year of marriage. And so, I quickly determined, okay, this is this is just not what is best, right? right? And and it wasn't going to be what was best for our family long term. And so. I started thinking, you know, what else can I do? You know, it just, I felt like policing was all I was qualified to do. Then I read, I read a book most of us have heard from, a rich dad, poor dad, and thought, okay, well, if if this many people have built wealth in real estate, I can do something. And because I thought, if if we just had like two hundred extra dollars a month, like that would have been a big deal to us. At the, at the it would have been life changing at no. the time. It would have been. And so I thought, okay, how can I make this happen? So so I went out. We bought two triplexes. This is two thousand nine now. And believe it or not, even then, paid too much and made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I mean, I look back now and think, what was the bank thinking? Right. What were they thinking lending us the money on those, on those projects? But we did. We bought them. And, man, so many tough lessons there. Uh, but good ones looking back, right, now that we had it. And, uh, again, still looking for what else I could do. And then I met a guy who was a federal agent. And I thought, man, could I do that? And so, sure enough, it's a long hiring process once again, um, but I got hired as federal agent, and that took us to Virginia, where we still live now. So I went federal, which is most, I think, law enforcement's dream, you know, better hours, better, I mean, everything, benefits, all those things that everybody seems to want, right? Right. Um, however, within just a few years, I quickly topped off, or, you know, like what I could do there. You know, it's like, and then I got to thinking, am I really going to do this for the next 30 years? And the obvious answer was no. I'll fast forward a little bit, but... Um, also, uh, I was, believe it or not, I joke with Don about this all the time because I say this is probably the path that he took to real estate success, uh, but I, I soon became a professional horse trainer. And, you know, I, and I, you know, I know that's what Don did as, yeah. as well, you know, but, uh, so, you know, Bob, our CFO is, I, I do. We've talked about horses as well. So, so Don, when he, when he can't, when he can't find it in himself to, to do that among the other thousand things he does in a day, he just hires one. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But it was a passion of mine since I was a little boy. It was just a dream of mine. I built a brand around that. I was doing clinics all over the country. I mean, I was teaching hundreds and sometimes thousands of people at a time uh, horsemanship skills. And so, you know, in arenas in front of lots of people with crazy horses, you know, and all that. So, so it was like a, a passion, this dream that I was living out. However, it was never going to build wealth, and it was always going to require me to be there. And so my wife and I were on the beach walking one fall, and, and we, were, we asked one important question, Nick, and we said, you know what, is what we're doing right now ultimately going to get us where we need to go? And it was kind of that, that break in the, the craziness that helped us to kind of take a breath and, and assess the situation. Yeah. And because I was working full-time as a federal agent, coming home, training horses, till, I was in the arena until midnight most nights, and it was like, I'm missing, we had two boys at the time, you know, then, and, and it was like, I was just missing everything with the family. And so that was in a, like September timeframe. By Christmas, we'd sold the farm and sold everything related to that business. 
And so we just knew we had to commit completely uh, to make it happen. I'll never forget my wife and I driving out of the driveway and just bawling. <laughs> you know, everybody thinking something's going on at the Sewell household. Like, what has happened, right? But we knew that we had to make a decision that nobody else was willing to make, or most are not willing to make, right? That's we an had incredible to, leap of faith. We had to commit, right, at a level that we knew most are not willing to commit. So, so then, I mean, it was uh, the path then of we started the podcast, and, and we've done over 1,600 days straight, uh, you know, every day of the week. I was recording 12 to 15 interviews a day uh, while still working full-time, traveling to conferences, networking, and, and, uh, and then... Uh, at the same time, we were, and I know we're going to talk about it a little bit, but we were going through our third adoption process, and and there were just many things happening. But but I I, I just know I, I think that there were so many things that were pulling at my wife and I. But, but you know, she was managing the home all by herself completely, right? While I'm traveling to conferences, trying to get a business started, while I'm still working full time, uh, it was quite chaos. Um, however, a year or so later, met my business partner. And, uh, and he had skills that I didn't have. I had skills that he didn't have. Uh, and our first deal was $20 million. Uh, you know, and so, I mean, the Lord just really blessed that. I mean, it was, uh, it was just an incredible ride. But, but, and we've done, obviously, many, many projects now, much bigger than that. But, um, but man, it's been, yeah, it's been wild how fast it's happened. And because of that, too, is why it's been so crucial to meet DLP. You know, and just the partnership that we've had with DLP on, on numerous fronts. But the Elite program, as fast as we've scaled, it's been incredible to have somebody like you all that's, hey, already figured most of these things out. Or in a, at well, a, you're right, a lot of them, right? Not without its struggles. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, $20 million for your first sale is incredible. Um, and you've only continued to grow. That's right. All right. So you, you've, you've overcome a lot of odds and made a lot of difficult decisions where you've gotten today. Uh, from from being one of five selected of twelve hundred to moving to a you know a, a federal role to creating a very successful uh, horsemanship business and then walking away from that business uh, for your pursuit of of real estate syndication and investment, um, what drives you to make the decisions you've made? That's uh, some of these sound like some of the most difficult decisions. Yeah. You know, we, when my wife and I moved to Virginia, we had, uh, we had been married maybe a year, year or so, so still pretty newly married. However, uh, we, the first weekend there, we heard a pastor talk about uh, caring for orphans and widows. And uh, honestly, my wife and I had never discussed this before, um, but he had talked about adoption and they had talked, you know, they, their family had adopted uh, some children. And, and so on our way home, I, you know, we just talked about how he really opened our eyes to the need. 150 right. million orphans in the world, unfortunately, 40 to 60 grand typically to bring a child home through adoption. It's, it's a, a very frustrating expense, right? That seriously, 150 million orphans, and it's going to be this complicated or this difficult, right, to, to bring one of them home. Because I often hear from families, Whitney, that's, that's more than I make in a year, right? Uh, however, uh, at this time, though, we're on our way home. All we, could, we, we just kept asking ourselves was, well, why would we not adopt? Right? Why would we not? Right. So it seems so simple, and I'm so thankful for our ignorance in the process <laughs> because we may not have done it, but I'm so thankful we did, right? It's changed so much for us. Uh, so within a week, we turned in our application to adopt from, from Ethiopia. We had no idea the roller coaster ride right? we, were, we were getting on. Uh, but two years later, our first son, Samuel, came home from Ethiopia. 
A year later, we adopted another son, uh, Elijah, who was born in the States. He came to our family through adoption. We also have a daughter now, uh, Eden Joy, who came to our family through adoption. And we're, and we're actually in the process of our fourth adoption as we speak. Uh, so, however, the, the first you know, couple processes specifically were very difficult financially for us. Uh, I mean, that was, I mean, that was such a massive chunk of money for us at the time. And I mean, we did fundraisers. We reached out to everybody, you know, like, will you partner with us? Will you help us, you know, bring this child home? And, and unfortunately, that's what most, you know, have to do. And so when we committed to the real estate, uh, the syndication business, to Lockbridge Capital, we say, you know what? We're going to commit half of our personal profits uh, to a foundation that's going to help families do just that. And that's what we've done. And the Lord has really blessed it. And we've partnered with uh, 21 families, I think now, who have actually bring a, brought a child home through, you know, through adoption that we've been able to partner with. A foundation's called Omna, Omna Foundation. And, and uh, sure enough, families apply. And it's been, it's been so neat, though, Nick, to see uh, our team, like, uh, is so motivated behind that cause, right? We talk about the BHAG and, and those things, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, and Don, you know, he, he's pushed me a couple times on, hey, it has to be something that the whole team can get behind, right? And for a long time, it wasn't, you know, a certain number of investors or whatever, a certain number of assets under management. Well, guess what? Your maintenance man doesn't care about that, right? right. Uh, and so, you know, we tied that to not only supporting and, and helping uh, 10,000 investors, but but we added... 10,000 families as well, right? Partnering with 10,000 families. And, and so we, our, our goal is to, to help these families to bring a child home, you know, through adoption. That's an incredible goal. And it sounds, I can, I can hear the, the Don in how you're crafting that. And it's, I mean, it's truly something that's going to make an impact and not only, you know, your life and the, the life of your, your team members, but, uh, and not only the life of, children but families that 10,000 families is an outrageous outrageous goal how well, I mean through all the the struggles and triumphs that you've kind of experienced I'll, I'll say outside of your business world outside of your career right and the influence you've had in in discovering how to and successfully adopting you know your children does that have any bearing or influence on the way that you lead people in your organization um, or any business practices that you've kind of, not to be cheeky, but adopted from, you know, your personal mission? Yeah, well, that, no doubt. I think it affects everything we are, uh, everything about us, uh, because, too, you know, when we... Everybody in our business, or often if I speak at a conference, everybody in there is trying to raise more money, right? Or everybody in there is trying to find the right employees. Or, right. You know, how do we get in front of the right people and all, all these things? How do we grow? How, how do we connect with investors? And I see, for us, it was almost by accident, but you know, I didn't plan it that way, uh, even though it may seem that I did not plan it that way. I didn't expect it to turn out this way. However, the more I've promoted, the more I've promoted our mission, the more great people have been attracted to us. And it's almost like every no joke. Every one of our employees right now, when I've interviewed them, every one of them have brought up our mission and said, "Hey, I, I love that mission. Yeah. I love that you're part. You know, you've started this foundation. I, I want to be a part of that." And and now, like the more that word is getting out, more people are like reaching out, saying, "Hey, I would love to work for you all." You know, uh, and so I've seen that happen uh, on the employee front. I mean, no joke. Every one of them. Uh, but I would even go a little closer to home uh, to say when we were first starting and it was like 
it was like my wife and I were just going nonstop to just keep it all together, right? And, the, and we, we honestly, we get up every morning and ask, you know, well, can we even afford to do the podcast next month? Like, how are we going to afford to keep it going, you know? And having those, those hard conversations early, because that's when we were both up, that was our only time together. But she was just as passionate about that mission as anybody else, right? Yeah. And it was also a mission that my children could get behind, right? Is, you know, is how we could, we could paint that picture for them as well so they could understand why dad needs to be gone so long or why dad is at another conference or why, you know, this is happening and this is, you know, where we're trying to head to. But also our investors, it's been incredible to see how many of them have partnered with the foundation, you know, as well, you know, or they love working with us because there is, there's some other mission behind, uh, you know, as opposed to just us building more wealth for ourselves. Right. I mean, I think that the real estate syndication space has, I'm not going to say become commoditized, right? But there's, you go to these conferences and, and everybody's there to talk about the greatest deal and how much equity they need. And it's, it's a lot of the same conversations. So I think differentiating yourself and having a, a really, really worthwhile purpose is, I mean, it's got to be attracting the right people. I, I know that that's something in our, our hiring process at DLP uh, or even the partnership process with DLP um, in screening out who aligns with, with our core values and, you know, our mission. Um, it's, it's an easy way to find the people that you want to spend, you know, hopefully a long trajectory of career success uh, together with, because you know that all those efforts, all that, that wealth building is going towards something greater than just money for the sake of money. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head when you're, you know, there in the beginning too, because I, uh, often talk about that first conversation you have with an investor, right? Everybody at that conference shakes their hand, says, well, says, well what do you do, right? Or what's yeah. your name? Or, yep. you know, and then you go into, we do multifamily, blah, blah, whatever, you yeah. know? Well, guess what? They've just heard that 20 other times yeah. or 30 other times, right? But when I can lead with, hey, we have a foundation that helps children, it just changes the whole dynamic of the conversation. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, I'm sitting here smiling, just hearing about it, and I already know about it. So, you know, I'm imagining our listeners and viewers for the first time that are, you know, hopefully taken aback by the efforts that you're making and they understand why it is that, you know, we want to partner with, with you and with LifeBridge and uh, what we hopefully, you know, model our elite membership program around and who is a fit for that. And, you know, you're kind of a shining example. Well, thank uh, you. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, really interesting insights also on how, how kind of some of the personal goals of your life have, have influenced your leadership style. Um, so if we can, you know, I want to hear more about uh, the podcast side of your business, um, how that has helped you grow, and um, if there's any kind of permeating trends that you're seeing now in what people want to talk about, what what they, you know, what comes up in interviews that is uh, is kind of guiding your feeling on the market. Yeah. If, if we can. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, the podcast has done things I never imagined. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think I'd hardly ever spoken into a microphone before, uh, but I, I, apparently this is supposed to be uncomfortably <laughs> close to your face. <laughs> Today's your first time. This is my first time. Maybe you can sing a song for us. Yeah, don't push it. <laughs> well, so I don't think that I'd hardly ever spoken into a microphone before. So when I thought about starting a podcast, I, I, I had met a couple other guys who had, it had shown success for them. Right. And I thought, okay, if it can do it, I'm just going to go figure it out. 
you know, like, let's just go, let's just go tackle it. I'll figure it out as we go. We'll make it happen, uh, you know. And so we did. It was a massive undertaking for me. You know, and I, I often tell people, even back to your very first question, it's like, well, you got to get started to get better, right? If you wait to do that first one until you're perfect, you'll never, you'll right. never start, right? You're, and you can't get to the 20th or the 100th, 100th show until you've done the first. And so get started. But for me, you know, everybody wants to know, has it been worth it? Because it, it's been a massive investment. I can only imagine. I mean, it's cost an absolute fortune. And, but I say, you know, the first year, of course, I was going to as many conferences as I could possibly go to at this time and still go to a bunch, but, but um, not as many. Uh, but during that time, the first year, nobody knew who I was. The second year, everybody at the conference knew who I was. The third year, I'm speaking at the conferences. I mean, it's like, you, you know, that transition, right? And, and if you looked at a PL for the podcast, you'd say, well, you're crazy. What are you, you, know, right. what are you doing? But if you also looked at our business at the same time, it was, it's a no-brainer. Right. Right. I mean, my network is growing seven times faster than most other pe people that are just relying on a podcast. Right. I'm interviewing seven times as many people, you know, every day of the week. Right. Or if I do 15 interviews today and you're, you know, during that week and, or you're doing one, well, you know, you do the math, right. Or four a month and I'm doing 30. Uh, and, but plus it became my own university. And so especially early on, you know, it's like if, if my business partner and I are struggling to figure out how to get this deal done or whatever it may be, you better believe out of 15 people, I'm probably going to interview somebody that knows how to do it. And it's probably going to come up, right? <laughs> We're probably going to talk about yeah. that thing. Uh, and so the podcast, I mean, it's just pushed me in ways I never, but it all, I also early on, it pushed me to build a team, right? I'd never hired people before, but I knew that to do that many shows, I couldn't do it myself. And I, I also say, you know, if I had done a weekly podcast, I would have tried to have done all the editing myself, the video, the audio. Oh, we can save this money. I'll learn how to do this. I'll write the show notes. And I would have gotten behind and probably quit. But since I built a team to do it, it's like, or, or since I decided to do a daily podcast, I knew that wasn't an option. I had to build a team. And then they held me accountable as well, right? But as far as learning from the podcast, it's been a, a never-ending learning saga. I mean, I like just own and on on everybody I interview. Uh, but even more recently, I mean, yes, I think most people are concerned about the market, right? Or what kind of asset class or what, what should we be shifting into? Uh, and, and one thing, though, too, I think most that I've interviewed more recently, it's like uh, so many are very optimistic. And then every once in a while, there's somebody that's like, oh, no, it's just it's going to be horrible, right? Whatever it is. It's, it's interesting to hear that take. And but then to ask some questions on where they founded this this thought on, you know, uh, and, and I would say more times than not, I, I, I feel optimistic about it from what I hear, even, even what I would call other experts, right. Uh, sure. you know, on the show that I feel are often ahead of me. Um, and, and I, I feel good about, you know, uh, the, the market or what they say, you know, uh, not that we're not in a lull, I think are going into even more of a lull. Um, but I, I often ask too, though, how are you prepared for that? Right. That's what I want to know. Okay. If you believe that, how are you prepared for that? What does that mean for your deals? And I want to make sure, whether I think it's going to happen or not, whatever may happen, how bad, I want to make sure we're prepared for it. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good answer. Um, you know, I get that question a lot in, even in, in you know, hiring interviews. Uh, you know, what about the recession and what about cap rates and what about interest rates? And, um, you know, I think the people that are prepared, people that have, that aren't, you know, leverage to the teeth that have a reliable source of capital and have the confidence and expertise to, and who have built the resources around them to help them navigate those types of 
trying times. That's right. I mean, it's to me, it seems like there's going to be probably a bit of an economic shakeup, and there are going to be a number of people who are ill prepared or who have been, you know, capitalizing on a twelve year secular bull market, uh, who are going to probably shake out, which means a lot more opportunity for us to do deals together. I hope you pick up on something in, in setting your goals high and taking on more than you could really handle that. I think a lot of people come to realize over time and um, is actually a preventative to them scaling as quickly as you have, which is that you can't do everything yourself. Um, you mentioned building a team and having and hiring the resources that you need to complement, you know, your driving focus Um and that's that's somewhat the key to to scaling, and where we see typically that switch is when the entrepreneur like yourself realizes that you know they can't be the only one answering questions and solving problems and making decisions. Um, was there an aha moment for you, or was it just right off the bat you had that type of maybe it was relying on previous you know your career upbringing, but was there an aha moment when you were like, I can't do this. These people are, I need to start screening people and relying on people that are going to take me to the levels that I see myself going to. For me, it was the commitment of the daily podcast that yeah. did that for me. And then learning that there helped me to like not even question it in the business. You know, and we can only hire as fast as we could afford, you know, early sure. on, right? Uh, but that helped me, like, Overcommitting, and I talk about that often. It's like I, by overcommitting, it may it pushed me in ways that I could have never imagined. But it, but ultimately, it made me think differently, right? It made me think differently about all these tasks that had to get done. It wasn't so much about how Whitney could get them done, right? But who who can help me? Who's who's the audio editor? Who's the video editor? Who whatever? And I built a team of virtual assistants from all over the world to do that, right? It's interesting. And, and so even from you know, while working full time, going to conferences, full time family, all the, we were moving numerous times in the process just, you know, to keep it creative. Yeah, yeah, why know, not? You know, Spice yeah. it up. <laughs> Spice it up, that's right. <laughs> you know, to do that, uh, you know, I had to have help, right? Even finding the guests, like, that's so difficult, especially for a new podcast. 1,600 people. You, you've never, of... like, nobody knows who you are, but you expect them just to come on your show and. <laughs> You know, uh, so, you know, I had somebody that's almost all they did, especially early on. Now there's more people that want to come on the show, but, but man, you know, that there's no way I could have got all that done. So it, and so even before that, I had a mentor at the time and he's still a great friend of mine and still a mentor, uh, but he had a daily podcast and I saw what it did for him. And so it was almost that simple for me. It's like, well, and actually uh, I would even go back to say it was selling the farm. So it's like, okay, if we're going to do this, like we are all in, right. let's go. Like, what are we waiting on? Okay, if that worked for him, I can see what it did for him. Let's, let's figure it out. Let's just, we're going to go. And, and as a result of that and committing to the daily podcast, I had to build a team. And that, I think that just taught me so much then because when it was time to grow LifeBridge Capital, well, it just makes sense to hire somebody that's better <laughs> at underwriting than I'll ever be, right? Or hire somebody that's better at investor relations than I'll ever be. That, and maybe I could be that good, but I don't have the time commitment. You know, I can't, I can't spend that much time on it, right? Uh, and so now, man, we have improved so much by hiring the right people who have those expertise and then are in the right seats. Yeah, that right person, right seat is something else, right? It is. Um, I mean, that's actually kind of the precipice of of the elite execution system that 
you know, DLP offers and has created for, for entrepreneurs like yourself who are struggling to find that or, or struggling to have that aha moment and are so used to just being the, the ones that kind of bear their teeth and trudge through, you know, um, it's helping to create a resource for people to build it, build their team and take the next steps that otherwise they, or to date, they haven't taken. So you've kind of got a head start on a number of people just by, it sounds like being willing to just take a, take a leap off a cliff. So good for you. I mean, starting with, with letting go of the farm and, and shortly after by just committing to a daily podcast. I mean, this is the amount of preparation and nerves that it's taken me to get to the seat that I'm in right now talking about this with you. It was one podcast. I can't imagine doing this 1600 times for you and for DLP. We've, I mean, we look to generally partner with just top operators in the, in the real estate space, mostly as it pertains to, you know, residential and providing housing. That's part of our mission. Um, and that's how we connected. Of course, you and I is through that partnership and through, um, you know, some deals that we've, we've done together. Can you, can you tell us or tell me how the elite execution system or the elite membership platform has benefited LifeBridge Capital? Because it sounds like you were, you already had kind of the, the spark to, to build your team and to get scaling. But um, what is it that has benefited you? Everybody's got a different story of, of how we've helped or how we've worked together. And I'd love from your perspective to, yeah. to hear yours. You know, I think when people think about scaling, they see other people scaling, it seems glamorous, right? Oh, it's just so grand, you know, but you don't think about the problems that come along with scaling as, as well, right? Uh, and I think that was that was such perfect timing for us to meet, uh, you know, I met Don actually a year ago. A lot's happened in a year, you know, after meeting Don and, and joining the Elite program and now meeting so many of you. But for us, it was perfect time because that was a year where we weren't doing as many deals as normal too. And so we could just laser focus on the elite program, right? And implementing as hard as we could go. And, and, and sometimes I feel like we still haven't done as fast as I would like, uh, you know, but then I, then, you know, Matt, John or somebody at DLP says, yeah. Oh no, you know, y'all are doing great. You know, you're way ahead or whatever, but I still like, no, you know, we need to get some of these things accomplished, but you know, we didn't have great structure within our organization as far as communication and the meeting structures. And like it is, we, we had great culture, but still not everybody knew what everybody did. You know, it's like, well, who is doing that? Yeah. You know, well, uh, uh, we're not sure. We're not sure, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so maybe for some things, you know. But so what happened was when we started, you know, learning more about, uh, you know, Don's book and reading that, obviously going through the elite program, it's like implementing just the structure of meetings, uh, you know, like you all have, obviously the LTNs have been amazing yeah. to have that structure where we're talking about successes and to do's and issue time, you know, where it's been such a productive time for our team. Right. But I think also the huddles have been so good for us. Transformative. Right? Yeah. You know, it's like it gives, and I encourage, right. Everybody to talk about their successes, right. Even personal successes. Like tell us about what your success was with your family over the weekend. And, and I've seen that like transform parts of our team where, like people get to know each other better, right? Because yeah. we're all virtual. We don't. We do not have a hard office, you know, space, and so that has been crucial for us. It's helped us in so many ways, just communicating, uh, communicating uh, across the team that we never imagined. But is, that issue solving time, the huddles, even the alignment meetings, where we can kind of set aside 
what's crazy right now, maybe they're working on, right? But we're in just say, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing, yeah. Nick? You know, what were your successes over the last 30 days? Let's just talk about that, you know, and, and dive in a little bit. Uh, that's been so helpful. Uh, it, I mean, that's just, it's, been, it's transformed us, right? And the compass, you know, us personally thinking about a compass as I'm trying to push the team into doing a personal one, but we're, you know, we have a, a team or a, a company compass now that, that pushed us to think through strategic planning really at a whole nother level. Right, uh, and my business partner Sam Rust, uh, uh, just my my business partner and I, to think through, man, wh- wh- what what is our one year bullseye or aim, right. a three year, or what, you know, how are we going to get there, uh, you know, and really like write some things out, but also in a manner that we can share with the whole team, yep. you know, where they can get behind, and so that's just transformed everything for us, I think, you know, from the inside, from from the top down, right? It, it's pushed me in ways, seeing how you all lead internally and the things you all do. Uh, but then also, even the partnership on the deal side, right? This deal that we had uh, in Idaho, we had been a part of this deal. Uh, it was a development project uh, for like uh, for almost 18 months, and it was time to close. And then all of a sudden, two weeks before closing, the lender backs out. And we're like, okay, <laughs> what are we going to do? You know, we're you know we're we're thankful we had two weeks, right? Um, but that's where the partnership was crucial. You know, you all came in as our lender, uh, you know, and helped us close that deal, yeah. right? And, and so that. Well, I mean, we couldn't ask for much more than a great partner than to be able to do that, right? And so not just how we operate, you know, day to day, it's helped us improve so much just by implementing the elite process, but then also, you know, a partnership as a lender as well. Yeah, it's great to hear it. A lot of, a lot of times it's the other way around, right? A lot of times we, we, we explore a deal together and, and uh, an operator gets to become familiar with how we work through our process and you know, we sometimes come to the rescue and that's kind of the the sticking point for building a relationship. So really good to hear that, you know, we've been involved probably a year prior to, that's right. to you and I getting together and buckling down and, and focusing on uh, the deal in Idaho. Um, because because for the, the rate that you scale and the amount of people that you're pulling into your world of, uh, you know, the purpose is enough to attract people. Right, but once you get here, these things can be chaotic. They go chaotic really fast, and having that type of meeting cadence, accountability, transparency, um, and I think, you know, in in many ways, being vulnerable to your people, right, and sharing your personal compass—not just the the company's aim, but your personal compass. You yeah. know, what's what's important to you from a hundred years from now? Right, that gives people a sense of who you are, and that's shared in small parts every day on a on a huddle. Um, it builds camaraderie. It endears people to one another. And when you're at when you're working, you know, ninety hours a week, trying to fly around and talk to every single human being there is, and then also adopt a fourth baby, people need to feel the the passion and drive, and they need to connect with you as a human if they want to stick around long term. I mean, it's, I feel that I've had a career in various financial institutions and not all of them have been in real estate. And this is, you know, the only kind of differentiation point that, um, that makes DLP home for me. And I'm glad that we get to kind of share that with, with other people and hear how it's impacting your business. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's impacted my family as well. Right, my wife Tremendous. and I get to talk about the, our own compass, right, and think yeah. through that and ask her questions that she hadn't thought about before as well. 
yeah, you really get to know people when you can kind of see uh, that transparency and what what forces them to think the personal compass is perfect for this. It forces you to think beyond what's the next deal. What's the next thing on my desk that I have to do, right? It's like, oh yeah, there's a whole big world out there and you have to to shape that for your children and children for 10,000 families, right? Like, I don't know a better way to take on a more impactful mission than you're taking on than to to really just open up to your team and let them know what your passion is and why. Um, that's, I'm glad, thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah, no, my pleasure, my pleasure. We, we've had, we have some team members who have adopted. We yeah. even, I just hired one that started today, actually, who was adopted himself. And so it's neat to, oh, anyway, so that's right, just to see incredible how that's happened. But It's inspiring. Um, so a big part of kind of our, um, we have kind of four, core missions or, or crises we're trying to solve in, in the world. And one of the, the major permeating ethos is, is building and leaving a legacy. Um, and your philanthropic efforts are obviously going tremendously towards that um, with the, the Omna Foundation it was. Um, so in regards to leaving a legacy, what does that mean to you? Is there a, a point in time where you're going to say, is, is 10,000 families enough? You know, when do you look back and you're like, this is how I wanted to be, how I want to be remembered or how I want LifeBridge to be remembered? That's a big question. I know. Well, we have three cameras and two microphones. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so, you know, as I've thought about that and you think about, uh, you know, what is enough, right? And even my wife and I, you know, discussed that a lot before we said 50%. We were questioned a lot about that, obviously, you know, by other people. And, and it's like, really? You know, you're going to commit 50% from the beginning? And we were just like, okay. The Lord's bigger than, bigger than all that, you know, than our doubts of what we can make. And, and, I, and I look back and I think about, oh, we're good with 50%. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it is uh, just the impact, though, that we can see on these families these children, um, you know, uh, even if, if it was just a thousand, I mean, you think about the uh, eternal impact, but the, these families for generations are going to be changed, right? These children for generations and their children, you know, uh, just uh, are going to be changed forever. And so, you know, I hope that everybody I come in contact with and, and my children too are, are inspired to give back, right? Uh, and not see it as a sacrifice, uh, right. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, how much is enough for you? Well, my goodness, you know, it's all a perspective. Right. Uh, you know, and how much how much we we all think we need. Um, but, you know, when you see these families and you see here the struggles that they've had um, and, and many who have held had failed placements, you know, meaning they've the adoption didn't go through like they were expecting and they lost sometimes twenty five, thirty thousand dollars and they only make fifty thousand dollars a year. Well, that's I mean, it is such a blow to them. Right. Uh, I mean, I feel like that uh, the, the legacy's there. Right. You know, where where our foundation then can come along beside them and say, hey, we're going to help you. Right. We're going to come along beside you so we can still make this happen. Uh, I mean, the legacy's in their children then. Right. And them telling that that, you know, to their children and grandkids on what happened. Right. How their parents were able to bring them home. 
because of what the Omni Foundation did, or ultimately what the Lord did for them. I mean, just hearing about uh, the person who was adopted, who then adopted someone else in his adult life, her or her adult life. That is it, right? You're you're creating or instilling a sense of values or purpose and in people to change change the world through a child. Uh, do you mind telling me a little bit about how Omna gets involved? Sure. I know this isn't kind of the topic. Yeah, of- no, happy to though. Uh, so ultimately, families, uh, you know, they apply on the website, and and we have somebody that helps just process those, of course, but. You know, we have a couple other foundations who who help families with just the process in general because it's just very taxing. Just the paperwork alone keeps most pe- most people from getting it done. You know, unfortunately, uh, and so we have connections with other foundations and other organizations that assist families in that way. Uh, and then they they send families our way. And we also do some marketing or whatnot. But but through lots of churches and whatnot that know that we are a, an assistance for their families who want to adopt or. Uh, for most families. Uh, and so they come to the foundation, they apply, they tell us a little bit about themselves. Uh, Joel, who's our, you know, who, who helps run the foundation, reaches out to them and ultimately assesses their need, right? And, and uh, can, is this a family we can partner with? Uh, do we have the funds now or not, you know, type of thing. Uh, but but really assessing you know, where are they at in the process. Some people are just starting. Some people are like, hey, I'm, you know, there's going to be a child here in a week, you know, <laughs> and we got to have some funds. Uh, and so, you know, assessing those things. Um, but I, as families come, it's everybody's so different where they're at in the process, right? Uh, you know, in their personal personal situations. Uh, but then, uh, sure enough, you know, the Omna Foundation and our, our uh, board has to determine, you know, what families can we partner with this quarter or this month and, right. and move forward. It's tough. It is tough. It is very tough. I think, um, you know, I, I, I'm hearing it now and and I've I've heard your your giving policy before in terms of uh, the percentage of your earnings, um, and I, I, I it's just clicking for me now. But I you know I see the way that our own charitable organization, the Positive Returns Foundation, has kind of molded and grown its its giving policy in terms of uh, providing housing for you know I mean first and foremost eradicating eradicating homelessness, but providing housing for people who need true affordability or support for that uh, or people who have housing that they can't afford to maintain. And um, I'm hearing bits of your, you know, your giving mentality in the way I see us graduating and our giving policy. So um, whether that's subconscious or independent or not, just know that, you know, you're influencing uh, good in the world in, in the way that we influence good in the world um, and, or in the way that in how we decided to influence good in the world. So um, you're doing tremendous, tremendous things besides just doing well for your investors. Thank you. Yeah. It's um, it's a pleasure getting to, to break this down with you. I mean, I know that we've talked mostly on business before, but getting to hear, you know, your perspective on, growth and on working together and on really making an impact has been special to me. Yeah, honored to be here. Honored to do it. Well, thanks for making my first podcast unforgettable. You're a natural. Oh, man. Now you're just making me blush. So, Whitney, if someone wants to get in touch with you, be a part of your organization, join your podcast, uh, or even discuss you know possibilities for adoption with you or, or the Omna Foundation, how do they 
How do they do that? What's the best way? LifeBridgeCapital.com would be the best way. However, if you want to know more about the Omna Foundation, that's O-M-N-A-H Foundation.org, the Omna Foundation.org. And we, if you know families that need assistance, we would love for you to send them there as well. Uh, and, and if you're looking to adopt, my wife and I would love to talk to you if you have questions. We do that often with families who reach out and say, hey, we've got questions you know, about adoption. We would love to just pick your all's brain, and we'd love to share from our experience with anybody that's thinking about adopting or potentially partner with you through the foundation as well. Tremendous. Awesome. And I'm sure we'll put up uh, all the resources and information that you guys need to find out more and to get in contact with Whitney and his wife and uh, the foundation and LifeBridge Capital. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.